Last time we started a review of the history of Abraham as found in the book of Genesis to uh, note how God worked throughout that history with Abram's faith as Abram's faith was weak and failed to take hold of the promises God would come to him and speak his promises again and give to him various confirmations of his promises to help him through the weakness of his faith and to uh, point him also to uh, additional promises that he was uh, making to him in these uh, events. And this uh, time we begin with Genesis chapters 14 and 15. Genesis 14 records for us uh, the capture of Lot, uh, who was living at that time in the city of Sodom, and his uh, removal from the land of Canaan uh, by the army that had defeated the king of Sodom. And then Lot's, uh, or Abram's, going after Lot and recovering him and his family and bringing him back again to his own home. Now, uh, Lot's living in Sodom was, of course, a, a choice that he had made and a bad choice that he had made. He chose to live among the ungodly. 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 7 and 8, talk about this. Uh, Lot was one of God's own children, but uh, God nevertheless was not uh, pleased with Lot's behavior here. We read in uh, beginning in verse 6 there in 2 Peter 2, that God turned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them to destruction, making them an example to those who afterward would live ungodly, and delivered righteous Lot, who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. So Lot was living in a bad situation. He had made a bad choice uh, by choosing to go into the city of Sodom. And he, as a result of this bad choice that he had made, he was captured by some enemies of the king of Sodom and removed from the land of Canaan. Abraham went after him with the men of his household and some of his allies and recovered Lot and brought him back again with spoil from the armies, the army that he had defeated. And on his way back, we find two things happening. First of all, he meets Melchizedek, king of Salem and priest of the Most High God. And he recognized in Melchizedek one who had been anointed by the Lord, who was one of the Lord's own servants. And not only a servant of the Lord, but a servant of the Lord who was superior to Abraham. And Abraham paid tithes to Melchizedek at that time. Now this is a very interesting event because nothing else is made of this event in Genesis. But later on in the scriptures, we do find the scriptures referring back to this. And uh, we find out from especially the book of Hebrews, but also from Psalm 110, that 
in this whole matter of Abraham's dealings with Melchizedek, God was preparing for the new covenant in Christ, who would be a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So Abraham had dealings first with Melchizedek. Then he also had some dealings with the king of Sodom. You find this recorded at the end of chapter 14 in Genesis. And I think we may say that Abraham recognized in the king of Sodom the seed of the serpent. And it was because he recognized in the king of Sodom the seed of the serpent that Abram refused to receive a reward from the king of Sodom for his recovery of the goods. We read about that in um, verses 21 and following. The king of Sodom said to Abram, give me the persons and take the goods for yourself. So the king of Sodom wants to reward Abram for what he has done. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have raised my hand to the Lord God most high, the possessor of heaven and earth, that I will take nothing from a thread to a sandal strap, and that I will not take anything that is yours, lest you should say, I have made Abram rich, except only what the young men have eaten and the portion of the men who went with me, Aner, Eshkol, and Mamre, let them take their portion. So Abram refused to receive a reward from the king of Sodom. And uh, God then proceeded to reward Abram instead of the king of Sodom. In chapter 15, verse 1, I think we go right on from chapter 14 to chapter 15, and we see God coming to Abram and saying, you did not receive any reward, any kind of compensation for your uh, recovery of the goods of the king of Sodom. But he says to him in chapter 15, do not be afraid, Abram, I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. And this also then, chapter 15, verse 1, carries us on into the first of the formal covenants of God with Abraham, Abram as recorded in the rest of that chapter. But what we see Abram doing then at the end of chapter 14 is living the antithetical life to which God calls his covenant people. Dealing uh, properly, righteously with the uh, uh, Melchizedek, the king of Salem and the priest of the Most High God, paying tithes to him, saying yes to the righteousness of God revealed in that fashion, but also saying no to evil to the king of Sodom and refusing to receive any reward from him. He's living out the life which God commanded him to live. Uh, something that Lot was not doing, of course. Uh, and as a result, we find out later on in Genesis that Lot really lost his whole family. His sons refused to leave the city of Sodom to go with him. Uh, out of the destruction of Sodom, his wife was turned to a pillar of salt because she turned back, and his two daughters showed themselves to be quite wicked but let's uh, turn our attention then to God's answer to Abram's uh, dealings with the king of Sodom and the uh, anxieties, perhaps we may say, that came out of that whole uh, history for Abram. 
We find God coming to Abram then and saying in Genesis 15 verse 1, I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. And Abram is uh, concerned about that. And he's concerned about that because God has already said to him, I'm going to give you a son and I'm going to give you this land and nothing has happened yet. So Abram's response to this is, uh, basically, you will be my reward, but the reward you have promised me is a son and the land, and there's no way that I can yet inherit that land. Because I have no son, Lord God, what will you give me, seeing I go childless? And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. Then Abram said, Look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. So Abram proposes to God that Eliezer, his uh, servant, his chief servant, become the heir of his house and that he become then the recipients, uh, the recipient of God's promises to Abram. The promise of the land and the promise of uh, a numerous seed. And God rejects that proposal of Abram. He says to him in verse 4, This one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. And he repeats to him his promise of a numerous seed then in verse 5. He brought him outside and said, Look now toward heaven and count the stars if you are able to number them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. So God repeats his promise to Abram here of a numerous seed and then uh, through that numerous seed, the inheritance of the land as well. And we read that Abram believed in the Lord and he accounted it to him for righteousness. That's a very significant passage, of course. Paul deals with it at length in Romans chapter 4 and also in Galatians, in the book of Galatians. It's important for the whole idea of justification by faith alone. He believed in the Lord and he accounted it to him for righteousness. But we're going to pass over it for now and come back to that at a later time in our study of this history of Abram. What we want to focus on here is God's covenant promises to Abram. And we find that the promise of a son first in verses 4 and 5. But then in verses 7 and following, God repeats to him the promise of the land. I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to inherit it. And Abram again questions God. He said, Lord God, how shall I know that I will inherit it? I need some confirmation of your promise is what Abram is saying to God here. And God's answer to that then is the first uh, formal covenant making that he does with Abram. He commands Abram to to cut these animals in pieces. And uh, while Abram, Abram is sleeping, a smoking furnace and a burning torch pass between the pieces. And the basic significance of that ceremony is God is swearing by himself that he will perform the promise that he has made to Abram. He says, I will be cut in two if I do not perform this oath which I am making. He is swearing by himself 
so that by two immutable things in which it is impossible for him to lie, Abram may have a strong consolation. So there's this formal covenant making. And in connection with that formal covenant making that we have here with Abram, God says at the end, um, verses 13 and following, Know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, and will serve them, and they will afflict them 400 years. That's prophecy regarding Israel's sojourn in Egypt. And also the nation whom they serve I will judge, Afterward they shall come out with great possessions. Now as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried at a good old age. But in the fourth generation they shall return here, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. And again in verse 18, God says to Abram, To your descendants I have given this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. And all the nations who are in the land are listed then in verses 19 to 21. This is God's formal covenant making with Abram. This is the promise that he attaches to that formal covenant making, the promise that his descendants will inherit the land. So the focus in Genesis chapter 15 is first of all in verses 4 to 6 on the son that God has already promised him earlier, but there's no formal covenant making earlier. And then in the second place on the land, those two promises, the key promises of God to Abram. And you see how God then is is dealing with Abram here, is strengthening Abram's faith. He's already made these promises beforehand, but now he comes to him, he repeats the promises, and he makes this formal covenant with Abram as well, the covenant-making ceremony of dividing the animals and passing between. And it is, notice, very much God's covenant. God alone passes through the pieces. Abram is asleep. Abram does not pass through the pieces with God by his side. That brings us then to Genesis chapters 16 and 17. And what we see here in Genesis chapters 16 and 17 is first of all, uh, Abram trying to help God out again in the fulfillment of the promises. He, he tried to do it in chapter 14, by proposing that Eliezer be his heir and the recipient of God's promises. Now in chapter 16, uh, Sarah tells Abram, take my maid, Hagar, to be your wife and beget a son through her. And that son will be a son from your own body, as God had said, has said he must be. And that son can be the recipient of God's promises. And so what happens, of course, is that Ishmael is born. But he's born because of the weakness of Abram's faith. Abram decides to help God out, and it doesn't work. Of course it doesn't work. God doesn't need Abram's help. God has his own purposes with regard to Abram and his sons. And so at the end of that chapter, we find Hagar and Ishmael cast out and God comes to Hagar, and he makes a promise to her, though there's no formal covenant making 
with her, that her son will be a great nation. And uh, Hagar then returns to Abram's household. But this is a, a foretaste of what's going to come because in a few years, Abram, Hagar and Ishmael are going to be cast out for good. Genesis 17, then, is God's response to Abram's uh, attempt to help him out by taking Hagar to be his wife. And what God does here is he repeats his promise and he makes again a formal covenant with Abram. He again swears his oath to Abram. Abram. And he, in fact, in this uh, chapter, changes Abram's name from uh, Abram to Abraham, from exalted father to father of multitudes. So it's God then coming again to Abraham, Abram and strengthening Abram's faith again by means of this covenant. And he focuses in this covenant particularly, again, on the seed, on the son he has promised, and on the uh, innumerable seed that he has talked about a couple of times before. And he gives to Abraham, this time, not this formal uh, ceremonial covenant making that we find in Genesis chapter 15, but he gives to Abraham this time the sign of circumcision, the seal of the promise which he had made to him. As we've said, the the focus of Genesis 17 is on the promise of a son. You find it in verses 7 and 8 especially. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your descendants after you. Also I give to you and your descendants after you the land in which you are a stranger, all the land of Canaan, as an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. Again, we have a very important promise, a promise of which the scriptures make a great deal in the um, uh, chapters and books that follow the book of Genesis, but we don't have time Uh, this uh, session to deal with that. We'll come back to that also at a later time. But God again makes this covenant with Abram, and he gives to Abraham this time the seal of that covenant, the sign of circumcision. And that sign of circumcision pertains directly to the son that God has promised. Now I think it's very striking here that Uh, God does not, at this time, give to Abraham the son he has promised him. Abraham is very concerned. His his, uh, main thought is all wrapped up in this uh, promise of a son because he knows that there's no way that God's promises to him can be fulfilled unless he receives that son. And yet God continues to hold back on the fulfillment of that promise He doesn't give him that son immediately. Instead, he repeats his promises and he gives to Abram further confirmation of those promises in the sign of circumcision. 
So that's chapters 16 and 17 in a high-level review. We turn then next to Genesis chapters 18 and 19. And again, we have very interesting thing happening here. This time, God comes, initiates the uh, events that follow here. God comes to Abraham with two uh, other angels, two angels, as Abraham is living in the plains of Mamre, and he makes to Abraham again there on the plains of Mamre the promise of a son. Abraham shows him hospitality, as you know, and when he has, the Lord has, and the angels with him have finished eating, then the Lord begins to speak to him. Verse 9, they said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? So he said, here in the tent. And he said, I will certainly return to you according to the time of life. And behold, Sarah, your wife shall have a son. Sarah was listening in the tent door, which was behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, well advanced in age, and Sarah had passed the age of childbearing. Therefore Sarah laughed within herself, saying, After I have grown old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also? And the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I surely bear a child since I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time I will return to you according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. And he said, No, but you did laugh. So God made his promise. Sarah did not believe that promise. We don't read how Abraham responded to that promise. But Sarah did not believe. She laughed. And when God uh, took her up on that, then she denied. And God had to rebuke her for it. But what follows then is that the Lord and these two angels who are with him and Abraham begin walking toward Sodom because the Lord is now uh, going to uh, destroy Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them with fire and brimstone from heaven. And the very uh, striking thing here is not so much those famous well-known questions that uh, Abraham asks God, will you destroy the cities if you find 50 righteous there? Will you destroy the cities if you find 40 righteous there? And he, he asks this whole series of questions. And God keeps on telling him, no, I won't destroy the cities if I find that, uh, so many righteous there. But what God is basically saying to Abraham is, I will never destroy the righteous with the wicked. But he did not hold back, of course, from destroying Sodom. Instead, he rescued Lot and his family from Sodom before he destroyed it. But what's really interesting, but what's really striking here in this chapter, is that the Lord uh, talks to himself as they are making their way toward Sodom. The two angels who are with the Lord uh, separate from the Lord and Abraham, and they go on and they come to Lot's house in Sodom, and they compel him to leave the city as quickly as possible. But the Lord and Abraham stay outside of Sodom, and 
the Lord begins to talk to himself in verse 17. The Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I am doing? So the Lord's saying, am I going to conceal from Abraham what I intend to do with the city of Sodom? And he says, no, I'm not going to do that because Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation. Notice that reference to the covenant promise he has made earlier. And all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. That's also a reference to the promises. I have known him in order that he may command his children and his household after him. Another reference to the promises. That they keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. And so the Lord explains to Abraham what he plans to do, and then we get that series of questions that Abraham asks the Lord. But God is not hiding from Abraham his purpose with regard to Sodom because of the covenant that he made with Abraham. Abraham is his friend, as he's called in several scripture uh, passages following this passage. Abraham is the friend of God. And because he is God's friend, God will not hide from him what he is about to do uh, to Sodom. And then in chapter 19, immediately following this discussion between Abraham and the Lord, we read about the actual destruction of Sodom and the rescue of Lot from that destruction. Now I want to uh, look at one more chapter uh, before we quit, and that's chapter 20. And I think what we see here in chapter 20 is that Abraham loses faith again. His faith again wavers. And instead of staying in the land in which God called him to be a sojourner, he left that land. And he went to the country of uh, Gerar, where Abimelech was king. But what was especially bad about Abraham doing going there was that he again, for the second time now, Uh, asked Sarah to lie about her relationship to him. Now Abraham said of Sarah his wife, she is my sister. And Abimelech king of Gerar sent and took Sarah. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Indeed, you are a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is a man's wife. So Abraham sinned for the second time in this matter of the relationship between himself and Sarah. But this time it is especially bad because Abraham has now had uh, sufficient uh, evidence from God that Sarah is going to be the mother of the promised son. Her her name has been changed along with his. God has made it very clear to him that Sarah is going to be the one who bears this son whom he has promised, even though she is past the age of childbearing. And when Abraham lies about Sarah's relationship to himself, he puts at risk not only the virtue of his wife, but he puts at risk the mother of the promised seed. 
he brings by his own sin a threat to the promise. And it's only by the gracious intervention of God that the threat to the promise is prevented from coming to pass. So what we see here then in these chapters of Genesis is Abraham uh, Abraham exercising faith in a certain measure, but Abraham also showing the weakness of that faith at various times, and God coming to him with his covenant promises and graciously repeating those promises and t- uh, giving to him strong confirmations of those promises so that his faith may be strengthened. We see the gracious working of God and the same kind of gracious working that he does with us as he gives to us his promises in the scriptures. He repeats those promises over and over and over again throughout the scriptures in a multitude of different circumstances and in a multitude of different ways so that we may see how he has worked throughout the ages to fulfill those promises and may believe that the promises he has made to us are as certain and as sure as the promises that he made to Abraham. May God bless you with his word.